You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. I want to ask you three questions as we begin this morning. Question number one, is there a difference between intelligence and wisdom? Question two, can you be smart but not wise? Question three, can you be wise and have only a limited education? The answer, I believe, to all three of these questions is simply yes. Yes, there is a difference between intelligence and wisdom. Yes, you can be smart but not wise. And yes, you can be wise and let's say only have a sixth grade education. Another question for you. Do you know people who are very smart but aren't wise? I bet you do. I do also. I know people who are very, very intelligent. Very, very smart. I know people who have tremendous influence and power. Maybe because of that intelligence, they're powerful in the business world. Of course, those who are in academia, some politically, some in the athletic world, because of their ability to have great influence. These people are considered very successful, but they still may not be wise. You say wise in what way? Well, I'm talking about being wise, having wisdom, and I'm talking about godly wisdom. Yet we live in a world where there will be those who see someone acting with godly wisdom and say, no, that's a fool. Those are the dumb, unintelligent people. They're not very smart. They lean on God like a crutch. I don't need that. They might look at a person operating in the realm of godly wisdom and say, they've lost their mind. Yet wisdom, godly wisdom, is something you and I must have if we want to live an abundant life or have, as we've been calling this sermon series, a life worth living. Don't we all want that? I want to show you a scene. I want to show you a scene that the elites of the first century looked upon and saw that man in the middle as a fool. They saw Jesus Christ as literally a nutcase. Yes, to the world, that scene was foolishness. They would never call that wisdom. And yet, that is the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom of God. The world calls that defeat. In fact, they would say, that looks like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> A religious leader dying for his own people? That's ridiculous. After all, what kind of religious leader dies for his followers? <laughs> Jesus does. Church family, what we're going to see this morning is based on the Word of God, the fact that Jesus' death on the cross was the wisdom of God in action. 
That's how the God of the universe chose to accomplish salvation for us. You see, without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, there is no hope of heaven. We're doomed. We're doomed. But because of the cross, we can sing, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Nothing compares to this. And yet someone might be watching this today and look at me and say, that guy's a fool. I get it. I really do. Because the things that are spiritual can only be understood by those who have the Spirit of God. Wisdom. There is victory in Jesus. There is victory in the cross. And that's why Paul preached Christ and Him what? Crucified. And here's the thing. If a human being can't accept that, then the Bible calls them foolish. They would be the ones who are unwise. And you know what? It doesn't matter what their IQ is or how many degrees they might have. They're doomed. And they'll be doomed forever with their intelligence. Think of that. Doomed forever with their intelligence. You see, church family, it is with the death of Jesus on the cross that God revealed the foolishness of man's wisdom and the weakness of humanity's power so that God might reveal his power through the death of his son. Watch this now. You've made your way there. 1 Corinthians 1. Pick up with me in verse number 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. That's those who are dying. That's a, that's a spiritual death. But to us who are being saved, and remember, we're in a process of sanctification, church. We, we don't finish this until we get to heaven. That's glorification. For we are being saved, and it is the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God said that. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? That's the key here. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ what? Crucified. He's a stumbling block to the Jews and he's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, verse 25, is wiser than men. Catch that now. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. Paul is telling the Corinthians now, he said, now think about who you were. 
This, this, you just look up 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 if you want to see that. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. And even things that are not to bring to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, that's purity and redemption, that is salvation, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. I want you to take a look at this picture. And I bet even the kids in the room can tell me, who does that depict? Satan, of course. Did you know, according to George Barna's recent American Worldview Inventory 2020, more Americans believe in the evidence of Satan today than they do God? Did you hear that? When asked about the existence of Satan, 56% of Americans agreed with this statement. Satan is not merely a symbol of evil, but a real spiritual being who influences human lives. Okay, you got that? 56% of Americans believe that. But get this, only 49% of Americans today agree with this statement, that they are positive God exists. How about that? 56% of Americans believe that Satan exists, but only 49% are sure that God exists. What is more, in his survey, Barna found that more people believe that Jesus, yeah, he came from heaven, but they said that he was a sinner. What? More Americans believe that Jesus was a sinner than he was sinless. George Barna concluded his survey with this statement. All of the spiritual noise in our culture over the last few decades has obviously confused and misled millions of people in our nation. End of quote. Amen, Barna. We are a confused and misled people. Church, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. This confusion in our day, well, it was happening in the first century in Corinth as well. You see, the Corinthian Christians were struggling mighty with all the ungodly and pagan influences of their day, just as we do in our day. There is nothing new under the sun. And these pagan influences in the first century were having a greater impact on the church than the church was on the culture. Sound familiar? The way that the Corinthians were thinking about issues, well, that was changing rapidly. And that's why a group in the church, we saw this in verse 11, Chloe and her group sent a letter to Paul who was in Ephesus and said, Paul, they're going off the rails. They're not thinking straight, Paul. In other words, their epistemology was changing. You say, what? Epistemology, you know that word? Let me show you a definition of this fancy word, epistemology. Use that on somebody, they'll think you're smart. 
Epistemology, the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. For example, what's your epistemology regarding gravity? I have my handkerchief here, so what goes up must come down, right? That's gravity, right? No one in their epistemology should say that what goes up stays there unless you're in space, right? That's an easy one. How about this one? What do you believe about gender? Is it fluid or is it static? How about climate change? Is it man-made or is it cyclical over centuries? How about Coke versus Pepsi? Which do you like? What's your strongly held belief? How about politics? Got a divide between the Republicans and Democrats? Hey, how about whether or not we should open up Wilkes County? You see, we all have a worldview, don't we? You say, what is worldview? It's, well, it's like a pair of sunglasses. It's how we see the world. I mean, you get this. If your sunglasses are tinted pink, you're going to see everything how? With a pink hue, correct? If they're tinted yellow, with a yellow hue. It all depends on the glasses, right? Here's a definition of worldview. Take a look at this. What is a worldview? Well, it's a way to observe and interpret reality. It's a second point, a way to understand the world around us. Third bullet point, worldview can enhance or limit our ability to observe and interpret reality. So there at the bottom, those three circles, you get it? Your past experience and knowledge plus your present experience and situation equals your present worldview. So we could say it this way. What you and I see and understand about a subject or an issue is shaped by our worldview, by our lenses. So that our epistemology, the way that we think about an issue, has everything to do with how we'll see or view that issue. Okay, you got that? Listen. What people were thinking about in regards to the subject of sin in Corinth was being affected by the world. The Corinthians were having a great deal of trouble trying to determine what was true about sin. Problem was they were starting to put on the world's lenses to view sin instead of looking at it through the lens of Scripture. We do the same thing today, church. You see, I believe you can boil down worldview into two categories, two broad categories. I want to show them to you. I want you to see this chart. Two overarching categories, a humanistic worldview or a biblical worldview. You see the man on the left there. That is representation that humanity is supreme in a humanistic worldview. In other words, humankind is king and needs no God and submits to no one. While the person following a biblical worldview, the person on the right, is one who identifies Jesus as supreme and we submit to him. 
You see, church, the Corinthians were struggling with all kinds of competing ideas. And here's why. And I, I want to show this to you because you'll understand it by way of this map. See the map? See Corinth there in the middle? Corinth is a, uh, or was a seaport town on the Aegean Sea, and it also had access to what other sea? See bottom left, what is that? The Mediterranean, right? And that meant that every idea imaginable floated into Corinth like an open portal of the internet. <laughs> These seas brought in all kinds of worldviews. Unfortunately, much of what was being brought into the city of Corinth had crept into the church and created factions and divisions and cliques. We talked about that last week, and this was destroying the unity in the church, polluting the minds of the people. They began to tolerate sin in almost every form. Sound familiar? You see, the Corinthians had moved from thinking biblically about so many matters to thinking worldly, humanistic. They were allowing the philosophies of their day to clutter and confuse their thinking. As one old preacher said, they had stinking thinking. Look at verse 19 again. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 29, 14. This is God speaking. For it is written, I, that's God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Paul is asking, where is the scribe? Where is the person that wants to debate this deal? And Paul reminds them, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I think about it in our day, church. That phrase, where is the debater? We've got our debates today, don't we? I believe one of the greatest debates of our age continues to be this. Where did we come from? Our children are being taught that we got here through a big bang. 13.8 billion years ago. Yeah, it's .8 now. See, when I was a kid, I was taught the Big Bang was 13.1 billion years ago. And then over time it went to 13.3, and then it went to 13.4, and as I looked it up this week, it's 13.8. Who wants exactness, right? Particularly when we're talking about it when we got here. Say so you're being sarcastic, I am, I, I don't mean to be. They say all of this is settled science, folks. We can't even settle on a date. We can't. Keeps changing, doesn't it? The Big Bang. No, we won't hold evolutionists to an exact number, but they want to tell us exactly how we got here. You know, we're told that we got here from a bang in space from a one-celled organism that began to, that, that started to split and from rocks and trees and from goo to you. Do you see this lovely lady? Take a look at this lovely lady. That's Lucy. That's our ancestor, they say. Don't miss what you're looking at. That's a CNN article 
A CNN article. Do you think CNN has a worldview? Huh? Do, do you? Do you think CNN has an epistemology? The way that, I mean, if you put on a pair of CNN glasses, how will you see issues? Versus saying putting on a biblical set of glasses. And you pick it. MSNBC has, a, has an epistemology. Fox News has an epistemology. So do you, so do I. But this is a CNN article. The headline is, How Did Lucy, Our Ancestor, Die? Secular scientists say Lucy died between 3 million and 3.2 million years ago, but again, who's counting, right? You know. Lucy is known as perhaps the world's most famous early human ancestor in that she was the first Australopithecus afarensis. What is an afarensis? Africa. She was found in Ethiopia in 1974 and labeled a human. They say... She's human. And here's what they found. They only found about 40% of her bone structure. There you go. There's Lucy. And yet I want you to see the artist's depiction of Lucy again. Here's a close-up of Lucy. Look at that longing gaze. And check out the human eyes. Folks, do you think there's an agenda here? Do you think there's an epistemology seer? Of course there is. See, with the Big Bang, you don't need God. And you need accountability to no one. And you see, we're told we have to believe this because Charles Darwin said it was so. Or did he? You know, I thought that evolution was a theory. I thought it was the theory of evolution that developed from Darwin's Origin of the Species, written in 1856. No, not anymore. Mm -mm. It's taught as fact. Settled science. And if you don't believe it, you're labeled unintelligent. You're labeled ignorant. They might even call you a fool. Well, the Bible said it would be this way. That's verse 25. See it again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Church, can I show you what the CNN article said about Lucy and how she died? They tell us they know how she died. Three million years ago. I'd like to ask, were you there? Are you ready for this? This comes from a very intelligent person, a university professor. So we got to believe it, right? It's coming from a university professor. His name is John W. Kappelman. He's a professor of anthropology at the University of Texas, Austin. Here's what he said. Quote, this is how Lucy died now. You ready? From 46 feet in the air, see it? Lucy fell out of her tree, fully conscious. Okay, three million years ago. 
She fell toward the ground rapidly at 35 miles per hour and hit feet first, sending an impact punching through her body and created fractures in her ankles, knees, hip, and shoulder. Internal organs were probably punctured by this hydraulic ram effect. Lucy pitched forward and instinctively put out her arms to break the fall, creating fractures in the bone there as well. It probably would have been her final conscious act. She twisted to her right, landing primarily on that side. That twist fractured her neck and tilted her head. Unconscious, broken and bleeding, she lay on the stream bed. If there was water present at the time, it gently moved the body a short distance along, naturally carrying her to a final resting place since members of her own species didn't. End of quote. Wow. Here's a picture from the CNN article of how it would have looked. There's Lucy falling. See her? Twisting. The writer of the article is a young lady named Ashley Strickland. She is identified on the CNN website as a space and science writer. Her education? A journalism degree from the University of Georgia. She has a journalism degree, folks. She's not a scientist. She said this in the article, Falling is easy to imagine for anyone, and he, she was speaking then of Kappelman, the scientist, the, uh, the, the professor, could picture the progression of her injuries as she plummeted to her death and lay at the bottom of the tree. End of quote. And then she quotes Kappelman again. And this is the part that got me. You ready? Watch this. This is what Kappelman, the anthropology professor at Texas Austin said. It really hit me for the first time. Here she was in her death, reaching her arms out to try instinctively just to break her fall. It was at that moment that these broken bits of bone that I've taught for 30 years became a living individual. And it gave me this feeling of empathy because I could identify with this. It's like putting yourself there at someone's death and being able to picture that, almost as if understanding that drops us into a time machine and we fly back through three million years. So we're observing how this little individual died. It was in understanding her death that she became alive for me. End of quote. And yet there are people that will not believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm not anti-science. But if the science disagrees with Scripture, I'm going with the Word of God. It's 1031, or at least it is when we're taping this. So guess what we're going to do for a quick moment? We're going to pray. You ready? Father in heaven, we continue to pray that you would rid this land and this earth of this disease. Lord, I, I believe you're bringing it down. The, the curves are flattening. And I just pray, Father, that you would give us stamina, give us wisdom, give our leaders supernatural wisdom. And Lord, help us. Help us through this. And help us, Lord, to see you in this. Not be upset, not be afraid, but Lord, to know that you have a plan in all of this. The children of Israel went through 40 years of wandering. 
Even Paul the apostle spent three years in the Arabian desert. Galatians 1, 15 through 18 tells us. And so Lord, help us to see this as a season of time that you're walking us through this wilderness. You provided for the children of Israel food. Their clothes grew with them. Lord, you'll provide for us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Always makes me feel better to pray. How about you? Folks, here's what I want to say. I don't want to be sarcastic about this whole deal about Lucy and CNN. I know that the scientists, uh, they really believe what they're saying. Yet I look at Lucy through the lens that uh, tells me she was an ape. In fact, there are biblical creation scientists who tell us that that's what she was, a three and a half foot tall, 60 pound female ape. Yet Kappelman might look at me and say that, Kevin, you're a fool. You have to believe the science. You have to believe the evidence. Okay, I get that. You see, you have to pick, church. You got to pick your worldview. We can view Lucy through the lens of Scripture or the lens of humanism. And mom and dad, I want you to understand something. That your children are making decisions about what they believe. See, and a lot of what they believe comes from this right here. And, and you might wake up one day and have a 20-year-old kid that says to you, they no longer believe or espouse anything you believe, and you scratch your head and go, how did that happen? They were raised in my home. But are you teaching them? Who is teaching them? Mom and Dad, your children have a worldview about every issue. And unless you talk to them, you're not going to know what it is. Is it a, is it a humanistic, secular, postmodern worldview, or is it a biblical worldview? You got to be talking, and you got to be asking questions. You see, church family, I have come to believe this when it comes to worldview. There are people who refuse to give God any credit on any subject. Did you hear Andrew Cuomo? The governor of New York who recently said, God didn't do that, you did. Did you hear that? Of course, he was speaking of who flattened the curve in New York. Como is a humanist in my opinion. Oh, he has said in the past that he believes in God and he'll even say, you know, God bless them or thank God and I get all that. But when he says stuff like God didn't do that, well, that all kind of rings hollow now, doesn't it? The inhabitants of Corinth had their debaters of the age. They had those who totally dismissed God too. Again, they thought this whole idea of a Savior dying on a cross was absolutely foolish. See, they look at us who see a Savior dying on the cross and see that as foolish as much as I look at Lucy and think that is foolish. So what's the difference? It's the Spirit of God that must open our eyes to the things of God and remove the scales because the God of this age has blinded the minds of men. Eventually we will get to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And the God of this age is Satan. And he now has more Americans believing that he exists than God exists. Oh, Spirit of God, open our eyes. Look again at it. Look at verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. 
Watch this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through what? The folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. They always did. They wanted Jesus to do some miracle. And the Greeks seek wisdom. It's all about intelligence for the Greeks. But we preach Christ crucified. Oh, and he's a stumbling block to the Jews, and he's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, that's all of us. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, catch it now, verse 25, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let that resonate in your heart, church. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Folks, who are you going to believe? Where are you going to look for answers to the big questions of life? Turn in your Bibles, John chapter 6. Will you go there with me? John chapter 6. Jesus had just taught that those who believed in him were going to have to make a choice. Jesus in John 6 draws the proverbial line in the sand. And I want you to see this. Have you made your way there? John 6, pick up verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now watch verse 60. When many of his disciples heard what he was teaching, they said, man, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, listen, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, he said to them, do you take offense at what I'm teaching you? Then what if you were to see me, the Son of Man, ascend back up into heaven where I came and was before? It is the Spirit, watch that, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You can't be saved unless the Spirit of God draws you. Now watch verse 66. This is John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and what? No longer walked with him. They said, can't handle it. So Jesus said to the twelve, you want to go too? He said to his apostles, you want to leave too? And Simon Peter said this, Lord, who are we going to go to? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What about you? What do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Holy One of God? It's the most important question of all of life. You can get the other questions of life right and miss this one and you're doomed. You want to know why and how I know God exists? Because He came here in the flesh. <laughs> Only 49% of Americans are positive that God exists. I'll tell you how we can know that God exists. He came here in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And as sure as Abraham Lincoln existed, and I never saw him, the historical truth of Jesus Christ existing is just as, just as true as Abraham Lincoln. 
Do you believe that? The existence of God, in my mind, is as indisputable as the existence of Jesus. So if you can believe that Jesus existed, you can know that God exists because He said, I and the Father are one. Romans 1.16 puts it this way. See your screens. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. What? To, 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 to who does what? Who does works? No. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is believe. Believe. Do you believe in Jesus? The Corinthians needed to make a choice. See, it's easy to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to follow Him. Even Satan and his demons believe that Jesus exists. But I'm asking you, are you willing to follow Him? Man's philosophies or God's philosophy? Hmm? Man's philosophy or God's wisdom? Which will you choose? Watch the progression of this now. Watch verse 26. For consider your calling. Paul is reminding the Corinthians where they came from. He said, not many of you are wise. He said, according to worldly standards. In other words, probably many of them were uneducated. He said, not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. These weren't famous people. These Corinthians who had come to Christ. He said, but verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So many proud people today. Verse 30, and because of Him, who? God. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification, that's purity and redemption, that's salvation. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Church family, I really believe the world likes for things to be complex and complicated so that they can say they figured it out on their own. But you know, God didn't appeal to the world's wisdom because all oh, that's vanity. You know, God could have made the gospel a very complex thing so that only really, really smart people could be saved. Boy, I'd fail that one. Like, like people that, uh, like, like say, the only people that could be saved, God could have said it uh, this way, are the people who can understand quantum physics and do calculus. Hmm. But you see, that's not how God did it. He went the other way with it. He made it so easy to understand who Jesus is and what He did for us that a child can understand it. In fact, Jesus said that if you don't become like a child and believe like a child, don't children trust us almost unequivocally, mom and dad? Thank God it's not complex. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. That's Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, and you've revealed them to who? Little children. Do you remember last week how I talked to you about the woman at the well? I'm kind of fixated on this account. Just ask my family. <laughs> More on that in a moment. Did you know that outside of his disciples, the woman at the well, a woman of Samaria, was the very first person Jesus ever told that he was the Messiah? It's true. Take a look at this map. Jesus had chosen to go to Jerusalem, and He had chosen to leave Galilee. See up there at the top? See Galilee? All right, see Nazareth? You see Canaan, Capernaum? 
All right, he leaves that area, and he makes the, he's going to make the 90-mile journey south. Okay, now, he's going to go to Jerusalem. See Jerusalem at the bottom of the map? See Judea and see Jerusalem there? Okay, what the Jew would never do is go through Samaria. They, they, they made the trip harder. They would cross uh, the Jordan River at a little ford and, and go across and down the Decapolis and through Perea and then come back across at Jericho and then Jerusalem. It made the whole trip a whole lot harder. And Jesus said, I ain't doing that. He said, we're going through Samaria. You say, what's the big deal about Samaria? They're half-breeds. Or at least that's what the Jews called them. Because these were Gentiles who had intermarried with the Jews. Jesus was called foolish for going through Samaria. Well, on his way, on their way, he and the disciples, they come to a little town called Sychar. And he sends the disciples into town to get some food. And Jesus has a conversation with a woman, a despised woman, a woman who had to draw water in the heat of the day because she was considered a woman of the world. The other women would draw water in the cool of the morning. She was ostracized. There's a mini-series on YouTube today called The Chosen. This is what I was telling you about. My family says I'm fixated on it because we've watched it twice, or most of it already. That's, uh, it's a fabulous mini-series, um, and it's in their first season, and it's free. You can get it on YouTube. They've done a fabulous job of depicting this encounter, and I want to show it to you. It's five minutes long, and then we'll conclude. But I want you to watch this, and I want you to watch this through the lens of what the world calls foolish versus the lens of Jesus. Let's watch. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank Him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper He's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? 
until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. You promise? I promise. Everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> The world would call that woman a fool. She came there to draw water, right? She, hey, pick up your water pots, woman. She had met Christ. Have you? Do you believe? You can be so smart, and so can I. We can have great intelligence, many degrees, and miss Him. God has brought us to a place that He has shut everything down.
so that we might have an encounter with the Lord Jesus. He said to the woman, do you believe me? She said, yes. She said, I'm going to tell everyone. That's true, she did. I love how they depicted it there. Jesus said, I was kind of counting on it. Hey, Christian, he's counting on us. Do you believe wisdom, the world's or God's? Whichever one you choose will determine your eternity. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.